are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're in traffic. Maybe you're just sitting at home doing chores. Whatever the case, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week Linode they bring the show to you the show is all about games games in their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and games that involve dice luck and cardboard and I'm your host Jeff Kanata that's spelled with two n's and one t and I am joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis Houston's native son, Mr. Christian Spicer. Christian, how's your family doing? Everybody okay? We got to send our best wishes to everybody dealing with Hurricane Harvey. How's how are things? Uh, it, it uh, well, thank you. Um, it, it looks like my uncle's house is flooded. We haven't been able to get back to confirm, but that's kind of the belief. My parents' house is currently okay, but the end of their neighborhood is flooded, and they are stuck where they are. But they are they are safe. They are though both of them fortunate compared to many in what they are experiencing there in Southeast Texas. Uh, I encourage everybody to donate to the Red Cross if they don't want to do that. What I am doing. Um, if you, uh, subscribe, use your Twitch Prime sub on Twitch and you sub to my channel, which is free to you if you're a Prime member, um, I am matching all of that and donating it to the Red Cross. So that is free for you. And I would love to write the Red Cross a huge check on everyone's behalf. And then if you haven't picked up either of my stand up albums, Moment in Time and We're All Gonna Die, I'm donating 100% of the proceeds. Um, this week to the Red Cross from those as well. So do what you can. Uh, there's a lot of great verified charities out there doing great work, and it is, oh my God, it's uh, it's hard. I got emotional playing Madden, which we'll talk about later, just because I was <laughs> thinking about like my, Texas I was like forever. texting with my folks, and it's like in Texas, and I'm like, screw you, Madden story mode. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, uh, it is really heartbreaking to see what's going on, uh, and. Uh, our heart goes out to everybody, friends and family that, that are, are dealing with this. Um, definitely, you know, buy Chris, Christian's album. Uh, that's a, a great way. Also, an easy way is to text Harvey to 90999. That automatically makes a $10 donation to the Red Cross. So uh, super easy ways to help, but uh, certainly our, our thoughts are with everybody dealing with uh, Hurricane Harvey right now. But we have a lot of gaming to talk about. Uh, it's hard to transition into frivolous stuff like games from that. But such is our duty. And uh, we have maybe the biggest week of the playlist uh, that we've had in a long, long time. We, we got a lot of games to talk about. We got a lot of news to talk about. And we have a great guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week we are excited because once again... DLC stands for Divisions, Leagues, and Championships because the CMO of Out of the Park Developments, makers of sports strategy games, and the CEO of We Are HTP, a consulting company focused on helping indie game makers and our official, unofficial DLC sports commentary contributor, Mr. Rich Grisham, is back with us. Hey, Rich. 
What's happening, gentlemen? Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I listen every single week. I have since the inception of the show, and obviously we can confirm before that in the shows before. I am just thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And and thanks also. A lot of uh, our, our listeners have been uh, fortunate to get out of the park baseball 18 codes because they sent in uh, quick questions. You have supplied those for week after week. We really appreciate that. I'm sure they have been enjoying playing that game. So thanks for that as well. Our pleasure. We want as many people as we can to experience the game because we think it's very special. So it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. Awesome. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of sports to talk about. Madden is out. We've all played it. But we've got so much. This is going to be a jam-packed episode. I'm really excited about it. So let's start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks there. Cool topics. You can talk about the show. You can give us feedback. And you can also submit stories, several of which uh, are in our list this week. But, Rich, you are our guest, so you get first pick. Which would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, for me, this is an easy one for several reasons. The The most important reason is, is personal in that my son, who is 10, loves video games. And in particular, he loves the Portal universe. And the Portal universe is obviously a part of the larger Half-Life universe. And in fact, just this weekend, he he's gotten to the point, and it kind of freaks me out, where he can now easily integrate mods into the game when he's playing the original Portal or Portal 2. And this weekend, he was proud. He came up to me and showed me, hey, Dad, look at this. I'm now playing Portal with a gravity gun. And look, there's headcrabs. At, at which point I immediately said, stop. I can't look at headcrabs. I'm still traumatized by what those <laughs> things did to me way, way long ago. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, for me, it's easily the Half-Life writer posting the plot of Half-Life 2 Episode 3 on the Internet. To me, that is clearly the story of the week. Yeah, this is uh, Mark Laidlaw, who was a longtime Valve employee who contributed to the Half-Life games. He left back in 2016 after, what, almost 20 years at Valve. And uh, on his personal blog, he posted something called Epistle 3, which had a plot synopsis of a thing that can only be viewed as a thinly veiled um, Half-Life 2 Episode 3 Plot. It has uh, gender swapped some of the main characters and uh, used pseudonyms that are really uh, not. First Ghostbusters, now Half Life. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Gertrude Fremont stands in for Gordon <laughs> Freeman. And uh, Alex Vance is uh, subbed out for uh, Alex Vaunt. But it's not fooling anybody. It's clearly uh, a version of Half Life 2, Episode 3. And it sounds pretty darn cool. We won't. Talk about the specifics of what the plot is in case you want to avoid, I guess, spoilers for something that will never happen. But um, it, it sounds really neat. It sounds like they had a really cool concept for where that story was going. My takeaway, and I'm interested to hear yours, Rich, but my takeaway from the fact that this was posted is it's literally never happening. The only reason he's posting it is because he knows it will never happen. Wait, did you see that a fan is – they said they're going to make it using Unreal 4? 
Well, that may be his that may be his ulterior motive. Maybe right. this <laughs> it's is the like Deadpool seeding. approach. Yeah, it's like seeding uh the fans to to finally make the thing that he worked on, you know, right? Like he gives he f- gives them the uh the ammo to create uh a game that has the loose structure. I mean, it obviously won't be what Valve would have made, but maybe that's a cool maybe that's a cool uh side effect of releasing this. Yeah, I mean, I- I find this fascinating for a number of reasons, but I'm right there with you. I I think this is much more about, well, look, guys, since Valve doesn't want to make this, why don't you? Here's the here's the plot. And I think also in the same general, I don't know if it's the last few days or not, but some assets were leaked or somehow distributed that included assets that were supposed to be earmarked for Half-Life 2 Episode 3. So now there's two or three different sets of combinations of uh, that can be used to potentially crowdsource this. And we've seen many times where if you give the ravenous audience the tools to do something, they will, they will create things. And if, if valve is like, look, we, we, for whatever reason, we're not doing this. Perhaps we overshot, perhaps it was never going to be what we wanted to, but now let the fans make it. I think, I think that's great. What what reading this told me was a couple things. Number one, wow, it's been a long time since I've played because I have no idea what anyone is talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Finally, closure two, on that thing I've completely forgotten about. <laughs> completely. I'm like, what? Oh, right. But the other thing is Half-Life 2 in particular, to me, was much less about the story and more about the amazing setting and the aesthetic value, and then the mechanics. And so... The hard could, part for, for crowdsourcing. <laughs> exactly. So just fascinating to me. It, it, it's just an interesting world that we're living in now where these are, these are the things that can happen. But yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very strange situation. And, and boy, I'm going to have to go back and play Half-Life 2 and then Episode N1 and then Episode 2 and then read the synopsis again to have any idea what anyone's actually talking about. Yeah, I mean, and this has caused quite a stir. Uh, this story, I should note, it was uh, submitted on our subreddit by Proton Murphy. So thanks, Proton Murphy, for submitting that. <clears throat> but also, AJ McLeod uh, submitted a follow-up uh, of sort of the the dark side, I guess, or the uh, other edge of this double-edged sword, because this has stirred a lot of, uh, you know, angry fanboys that have now taken to uh, writing negative reviews of Dota 2 on Steam just because Half-Life 3 never happened, and their, or Episode 3, and their contention is that if Dota had never taken off, uh, maybe they would have made a this game. Um, so, Christian, what do you make of all this? Is this... I mean, I guess it's a cool thing that we get to see what this guy was thinking of for for the third part of the story, but kind of feels like much ado about not very much. Well, I think it shows how important Half Life was to gaming and how much people still hold it near and dear to their heart. Like, like, like Rich said, you know, it's been forever since most of us have played those games, but it it has surpassed that, right? Like Half Life and Half Life Two is that rare game that has 
stepped out of being just a game. It's Tetris or whatever, you know, there's like maybe five of them. And Half-Life is one of those things where even I think non-gamers are aware of it to some extent. And then people that have any connection to gaming um, are totally connected to it. And even this younger generation now, like Rich's 10-year-old kid is sitting there aware of headcrabs and all of this and like this thing exists or never has come out or whatever. So I think it just speaks to the popularity of it. And then to it also, the the other side of that is that it is so long ago that it's tapping into people's nostalgia in a way. Because it's a lot of us. It's a lot of old men going like, oh, those were the days. And like, it's less about half-life and more about the summer of 97 when I met a girl and I had a car and we all drove, had leather jackets. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, like... It's that, and we're well, like, mm, half-life. You're not wrong. The, the In fact, the, the news stream this week is just full of that, full of nostalgia. <laughs> right? we'll, we'll get to more of it. But there's another point I want to make about this, which is reading, reading the synopsis and reading how cool the ideas for what was going to be episode three of Half-Life 2 were and how solid they were and, and fully formed, I had always sort of assumed that the reason we never got episode three is because – uh, Valve had sort of written themselves into a corner and felt like they needed to one-up themselves to such a degree that they had set the bar so high that they could never reach it. And so, like, why even try? We're just going to disappoint people. There's no way we can even make a Half-Life Episode 3, or, or let alone a Half-Life 3, uh, because this we could never top ourselves. And, and we've now created a situation where it's impossible. We're only going to disappoint people. So let's just abandon that. That was sort of my running theory about why we still don't ever get that. And I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think at this point, Half-Life is a dead IP, completely dead. Maybe we'll get more portal games, hopefully, but I I suspect they will never touch Half-Life again, which is sad. But I I think that this flies in the face of that theory because it sounds really cool. And it feels like, they had awesome ideas that would have made for a great game. So now I don't know what to think, I guess. <laughs> In that 30 seconds, you went through, I think, all of our emotions. You just succinctly <laughs> stated the internet for the last four days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of... I, I'm I'm kind of okay though. One of the things I and I, I tell my son, who, like I said, loves Portal Two. Just, I mean, he, he has loved the the Portal Two since he was very small. And in fact, one of the cool things about Portal Two, if you have it on Steam, is the testing initiative or whatever it is, which lets you build infinite numbers of levels and experience the game in a different way. So, one of the things that I've told him, and I I don't tell him because I don't believe it, because I do believe it, is sometimes it's okay to not have a sequel. Sometimes it's okay to end with something. And Portal Two is, in my opinion, the best video game ever made. And sometimes that's okay where that's the last thing. And, and sometimes that's the best thing. And that might be the best thing in this case, too. Well, the original I, Ghostbusters 2 proves that point. And Back <laughs> to the Future 3. And, oh, uh, Back to the Future 3 is great. Come on. Great? It's great. Yes, great. Great? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I have the vinyl sitting behind me, but I'm still not going to say it's great. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the yeah, the, uh, there's plenty of examples in cross media of like more isn't necessarily better. I mean, uh, the the one I would say is uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Uh, that's a, that's something I clamored for for decades, and then when it happened, I was like, 
Why did I want this? <laughs> um, so yeah. So uh, you make a great point, Rich. Uh, but the but the contrary to that point, the counterpoint is, but more maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. You have more. Uh, yes. <laughs> I would not say I would not say no. I don't want Portal Three or no. I don't want Half Life Episode Three. Would right, never because say anything. They're talking about a new Indiana Jones movie, and I'm like, yay! I have not learned my lesson. Uh, yeah. Same thing with the the next uh, Arrested Development season. I'm like, I'm hoping it's better than that last one. So, you know, hope springs eternal. Christian, what is your story of the week? Well, I'm going to keep the old man train chugging down the track. We got our first trailer for Shenmue 3. Woo! Yeah! I like to call it beautiful scenery and I'm dead in the eyes. And um, it is... I ooh, I don't know if you guys watch this, so back it up a little bit. The game we already know is delayed. Uh, late 2018 is what they're talking about. And it's being published by Deep Silver, I think. Is that correct? Uh, I think that's right. In, in at least one area that has like an official publisher pushed back. We hadn't, we seen like some stills and some concept art. And now we got to see the first trailer. It's very narrative light. It's kind of just a random mishmash of things. Um, it looks very dreamcasty. Like if you're expecting the characters to have changed the way maybe characters in the Uncharted series have grown up over the franchise, that doesn't look to have happened. And he also have, they have also come out and said like, yeah, the facial animations are a work in progress, but we wanted to get something out to the fans. But right now, like there's a fight scene and it's just like both, <laughs> both of their faces are just like still in this like, I'm so bored. Why are you making me do this, mommy? Like face. Well, it looks rough. Did you watch it? it? I did. Uh, and I'm torn between it looks rough or it looks consistent. Like, is there no? They're no. kind of going for this consistency thing because the the environments are hugely up, upgraded from Dreamcast era, and the, the environments look genuinely beautiful. But it can't. Oh, so I'm going to pitch to Rich and hope that he sides with me with this. I don't think it, you can argue it's consistent when those games were beautiful when they came out. Well, yeah. Okay, Rich, what do you think? I can't argue that point. No yes. doubt. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they were beautiful when they came out, and they were pushing up against the limits of very antiquated technology by today's standards. And uh, you know, though the. the you can't argue that the the models aren't improved. They are improved. The Dreamcast. I, mean, I can argue it. I might not win that argument, but I bet I get like ten percent to <laughs> they, be like, "Are they? <laughs> they are improved. Uh, they are very much what you remember. Like what your mind's eye saw on the Dreamcast is is what they're they're showing. Uh, I'm more concerned. You know how I feel about this. We've talked about Shenmue 3 again and again on the show, and I keep telling people that you don't want this. <laughs> this, people, is, this is Crystal Skull is what you're saying. Is it, well, this isn't even Crystal Skull. This is like – because Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and Last Crusade are all excellent. Oh, people crap. Are just, Here we go. Listen, nobody played Shenmue 1 and 2 more than me. I had a girlfriend at the time who was super into those games. We played the heck out of them. Completed Did your father games. die? Did your girlfriend help you track down the killer? Is found, uh, <laughs> well, we never found the killer, but we did find some sailors. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I played those games uh, in, through and through, and they are not good. They were ahead of their time, and that is something that people remember, and that is undoubtedly true. They were pushing up against the limits of what video games could do at the time. And for that, we should all be excited because they, they really were the forerunner of open-world 
and story and all of the things that games do now just sort of a priori, like they just we just expect Shenmue was kind of doing before anybody else. But that doesn't mean the game was the games were good. And I think that people who don't really clearly remember the games and really want Shenmue 3 because this was this unfinished story. This is not Half-Life 2 Episode 3, right? This is not like the unfinished version of a great series. This is a a series that was ahead of its time but had a huge flaws and huge problems and was was had long stretches of being really boring and bad. Um, so if the game is consistent with its predecessors, it's going to disappoint a lot of people in my my prediction. But I still am hopeful that it's excellent. What did you did you see this trailer, Rich? No, I am not a Shenmue kind of a person, and so for me to comment on it would would not really make a whole lot of sense. What I will say is that my approach with my level of excitement for games over the last you know ten fifteen years, especially as I as I have changed, is that I am very excited about games I can play right now, and because there are so many great games I can play right now, so the the often the distance Kickstarter backed, we might get it at some point in time, which is kind of nebulous as to when exactly we might get. I tend to pay much less attention to that kind of stuff. So that that's sort of my approach with Shenmue three, as well as you know some of these other. Yeah, we got announced at E3, but we don't see him for five years kind of a thing. I think that's well, come probably on. Crackdown why. 3 is coming out. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. mm. I am still holding my breath until Anthem is released. So just nudge me when it's here because I will be passed that, out. Does that explain the color of blue that we noticed when the show started? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's probably a very wise position. And you're right. We, we are, a, you know, awash in excellent games. So there's no reason to to worry too much about the stuff that isn't here. But I think this is going to be an interesting case. I, I am going to be so interested to see how this game is received by the people that threw money at it, because it is, yep. you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, there are a lot of other, <laughs> in the same vein, uh, a lot of other potential stories of the week. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm going to go with age of empires Four. Being announced. This is another game that has been what over a decade since uh, it, it had its last installment. Episode or episode, <laughs> Age of Empires three was released in two thousand five. That made it, me feel old when I read that. By the way, I was like, we just had one, and you know, the studio's been closed for almost five years. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. But it's really cool. So, Age of Empires four has been announced. Will be published by Microsoft on PC, and I assume eventually. Uh, Xbox, we'll see. That has not been specifically stated. But uh, they've given it to, in my opinion, the perfect studio, Relic. Relic Entertainment is uh, is the guys that did uh, uh, Co- Company of Heroes and Homeworld. Uh, these guys know how to do real-time strategy. Edge of Empires is a storied franchise, uh, one of the sort of pillars of the old PC RTS genre. Uh, I'm excited for this one. I, I think this is going to be very, very cool. We don't know much about it. It was a very nebulous vague uh, announcement trailer full of still images and you know old timey <laughs> historical photos but no actual concrete info but i'm still excited it's happening it doesn't sound like it's going to be here anytime soon i'm guessing a 2019 game at the earliest but uh still excited to see age of empires 4 announced because i kind of dig these games uh in the meantime age of empires uh remaster 
I think it's being called, is coming. Um, so there will be more Age of Empires stuff in the in the interim. Uh, were you an Age of Empires guy, Rich, at any point? I have played. It's been quite some time. What to me this is significant is because it exists. It, you know, th- there are certain kinds of of games, or whether it's a game or whether it's a hardware console, where just Knowing that there is a plan is more important than knowing exactly what the times and dates are. If, if I look at Microsoft, for example, there was a time a couple of years ago when the Xbox One was losing so significantly to the PlayStation 4 that I was kind of concerned that Microsoft might just exit. And instead, they, they said, nope, we got the Xbox One S and now we got the uh, the Scorpio or whatever it is, the Xbox One X. So knowing that they have... Knowing that this thing is going to exist is important. To me, knowing that the next Age of Empires is going to exist is important for people who have a history with this franchise and should help reinvigorate uh, in, reinvigorate those fans now to explore some things that they might have not been exploring more recently. Christian? I hope it's good. It, uh, I've never been an RTS person. I know that the Age games have had it diehard fans and people have been clamoring for them um i hope it's great i i don't really have much more to contribute than that unfortunately well then maybe you might be one of the people that's excited about the secret of mana remake which was also announced this week secret of mana is that quintessential game for a lot of people it was never really mine um but i know a lot of people back in the 90s uh, just heaped praise on secret of mana in fact secret of mana is one of the a uh, few games that made it onto the classic Super Nintendo machine that everybody's trying to buy. Uh, and now there is a full-on remake, remaster of Secret of Mana that is coming out in February 2018. Has completely redone visuals, although they're still a little simplistic, but they're much it's improved. It's coming to Vita, so it's worth it. <laughs> coming to Vita. Coming to Vita and PlayStation 4. Not coming to Switch. This is a Super Nintendo game. Not coming to Nintendo. Uh, it is also coming to the PC. Um, the you know the music for Secret of Mana was always one of the, its big things. They're redoing that. They're doing musical new musical arrangements, uh, new voice acting. There's a teaser trailer. Uh, Christian was Secret of Mana ever one of your jams? It was my brother's jams where I would never dive into it, but I remember there'd be times that we'd have like the neighborhood over at the house playing the game and, and the music is forever. It's forever in my brain. I think for a lot of people, you hear that title screen score when, when you think of the game. And I'm excited for the remake. I'd love to see this franchise continue to evolve. I'm not sure to what extent that's the case versus like, hey, we can do this. Um, but maybe I'll check it out on, on Vita. That could be a fun way to play it and keep my keep my Vita plugged in. Yeah. Rich, any uh, any affection for this series or this franchise? I have several good friends who are over the moon with their delight of of this announcement. Kind of similar to to what I said earlier. I I don't have any direct experience, but I, there's a few of my buddies who are very excited about this, and <laughs> I have some you know interesting friends. And and the Vita, they weren't joking when they were talking about how excited they were that it was coming to the Vita because. You know, the Vita for, for all the, uh, the, all the fun we like to have with, with what it was and, and how it was sort of managed by Sony is a wonderful, wonderful machine. So keeps chugging along too. It keeps chugging along. There's new games coming out. There's new games, a bunch of new games coming out tomorrow for it. It's, it's not dead. It only, it's only mostly dead. (laughs) Um, so I guess the theme of the story of the week segment this week is, uh, hey, remember old stuff? Because 
uh, you know, nostalgia is is sweeping through the video game industry. That's interesting. But we don't have to just talk about old stuff. There's tons of new stuff, and we're going to have a huge extended playlist segment because we all have long lists of games we've been playing. And we'll get to that shortly, but first I do need to thank our sponsor, which is Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GBPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now... Linode offers two, offers two gigabytes of RAM for only $10 a month. That's pretty great. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including us. All of 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode, including DLC. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Linode now is offering a one gigabyte plan for only five bucks a month. High memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes for $60 a month and an upgrade in storage from 24 gigs to 30 gigs on their two gigabyte $10 a month plan. So support DLC and get a $20 Linode credit by going to, uh, excuse me, promo.linode.com slash DLC. That's P-R-O-M-O dot Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot C-O-M Slash DLC. Thank goodness I spelled that C-O-M because people don't know how to spell .com. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks to Linode for supporting the show. Promo.Linode.com slash DLC. All right, we have so much stuff to talk about. Um, it is, it's a huge list of games, um, but... I think first I want to talk uh, about an email uh, that we got because uh, I got a, a number of people expressing similar sentiments to me, and I wanted to address it before we move on. And this one comes from Regan. He sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, and he says, Hey, Gain, first of all, congrats on uh, you reaching episode 193. This was a couple of episodes ago. Um, however, this episode has filled me with a pretty major gripe that I was surprised that you guys had exposed yourselves to. He said, the duo you had on as guests from Volition were awesome, but your guys' candor and questioning when talking amongst yourselves was very smooth. However, in the future, please do not have guests on when you happen to be talking about their game, Agents of Mayhem in this case. I realize that the duo did not pay you to be on the show, nor did you guys receive some sort of monetary reward for having them on while discussing the game. However, it still leaves a perception of there is no way I'll crap on their game because they're guests this week. While this episode occurred prior to the release date of the game, it can easily be read that the game is getting less than stellar reviews by the community at large while you and Christian praised it wholeheartedly. I also completely understand that folks have their own opinions and they can be differing. For example, you guys actually liked The Order, 1886, and uh, we all really liked Infamous Second Son. So it's highly possible that you both still, still feel this highly on Agents of Mayhem. However, listening to this episode after the game releases... You can, I presume, see where someone like myself would be coming from. Ideally, you'd have awesome guests like this on a few weeks before or after the game is released so opinions have less probability of being skewed. 
Just my two cents. Obviously, still love the show, and I will continue to love it in the future. Cheers. Christian, did you want to react to that? I, I love the email. I think it was very civil and expressed a concern and a critique in an awesome way. Love it. Always open to this type of email. And I totally understand where Regan's coming from. It makes a lot of sense. I will say that um, I still really enjoy Agents of Mayhem. It is my go-to. I have uh, a multiple PS4s, <laughs> one in my office, one at home in the living room. And when I am winding down, I'm still chugging away at Agents of Mayhem and just plugging here and there for an hour. Um, it's lots of fun. It's lots of fun. I don't understand some of the negative reviews. I, I really don't, unless it's the landscape has just shifted on this type of game and people aren't into a, a crackdown. I mean, it, it's dumb. It's just dumb fun. Like, I'm, I wasn't going into it expecting this will change my life. And I also think if you listen to the episode, the way I talked about Agents of Mayhem versus, um, Oh, come on. Uh, Observer. Like, I think it's clear that one is on my games of the year list and one is that game I'm enjoying very much. But I totally understand the criticism. And I, I really thank Regan for the email. And if others feel this way, you know, please always keep us keep us in line and keep us in check. But I also hope that over 190 whatever episodes we're at, people can trust us. And uh, I've, I don't get me wrong. I can be bought. But I will tell you up front that <laughs> yeah. I have been bought, uh, and here's an ad. No um, one is throwing enough money at us to buy us at this point, or any money, really. No one's throwing money at all. <laughs> but um, like, hopefully you guys know and trust us and have learned our opinions. And all I have all I have is my credibility in this, so I wouldn't do anything to to thwart that, I guess. Yeah, I'll underline what you, what you said. I agree with all of it, and I appreciate the email. I got a lot of tweets to the same effect, people um, feeling like it was some weird conflict of interest. I will say this, uh, if developers of a game reach out to me and want to be on this show, I'm going to have them on the show. Uh, I, I think that adds value to our show, and I love talking to developers about their games. Um, sometimes that can feel like your game is awesome, how awesome is your game? We try to make it more interesting than that, and I love, you know, you will hear us have bonus content on this show where uh, Christian or I will be talking to people for a shorter period of time. But when a guest actually wants to be on the entire episode, I think that's really special and really fun, and it gives you a side of them that you don't usually see. I mean, they're talking about other games they're playing. They're reacting to the news. I love that, and I'm not going to say no just because it happens to be the week that their game comes out. I also uh, hope you guys know that we will be honest with them. We probably won't say your game is garbage to their face. But you can – we wouldn't also say your game is awesome when we don't think it's awesome. I don't know. I did unintentionally, I should add, but I did sit there for a, a lengthy amount of time talk about how you'd be dumb to play Destiny 2 on the Xbox while Major Nelson was right behind me. I so <laughs> Well, yeah, we didn't – that happened. You're right. But um, no, I mean I, you're right in, in, in saying that we – you know, if if we had gotten, we also got codes for that game to play it. We got we got those codes. And we played it. If both of us had hated it, I probably would have rethought the idea of having them on. Or you know, it, it, we wouldn't have framed it in the same way of like, hey, let's come on and talk about your game. It would have been let's talk about what it took to make your game. You know, that would have been a, a, a little different. And then we would have voiced our hateful opinion later. Uh, because, you know, it's just rude to do that to people. But I also feel like we would have been honest, and we were honest. You brought up gripes. I brought up gripes when we talked about that game. We don't need to belabor the point, but uh, as Christian said, hopefully you guys trust us enough to understand that 
It wasn't a puff piece or it certainly didn't intend to be a puff piece. I think it's fun content and that's really what it's all about here at DLC is creating interesting discussions with interesting people. And I would like baseball 18 is my favorite game of the year. Uh, What page are we on, Jeff? Are you on page 14 of the script or where am I? I I would like to say as a listener, I really enjoyed that episode. Now, I one of the one of the things that I do is I produce the Press Row podcast and not often, but at least four or five times a year, we'll have the makers of MLB, the show or Madden or NHL or NBA 2K come on. It's a thing that we do. And as the walls between whatever traditional gaming media is and whatever it is that we're now doing collectively have completely been imploded, I think the direct approach is the best approach. And I listen to DLC every episode. I know you guys. I know your opinions. And so when you're having a conversation with someone who's making a game, it's different than somebody that I don't know who I haven't listened to 196 episodes of. And I I felt like it was a completely legitimate and honest discussion. So as a listener, that's at least one perspective that that I, you know, that you can take away from from that episode. Well, thanks. I appreciate that, Rich. And and I think the the last, just the last, where I'll leave it is to say that nothing we said in that episode was false. You know, we both genuinely dug that game and I still like it. So I'll stand behind that. And it leads to another discussion, which we will not have today, but one that I ha- we have had in the past and we'll probably have again in the future because it's a big issue for me is I really despise this whole forced consensus thing where it's like, well, the Metacritic was 6.5. So how can you have liked it? It's like individual opinion is, is, erased or under I like that so I think as a show you would argue that we are indifferent <laughs> our consensus the show has to have a consensus all right, all right we'll move on from that but I appreciate the email thank you again and if you want to send emails to us dlcfeedback at gmail.com okay this is the uh, playlist segment so we got lots of games to talk about I think we're going to probably do it in a round robin because there are so many games that all of us have been playing and Rich since you are our unofficial official Sports correspondent, let's start with Madden 18 because Madden 18 has hit. It's got a lot of new features, including a single-player story mode. What? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and a lot of other cool things. Uh, let's start as the expert uh, sports gamer and Madden aficionado. What do you think of Madden 18 overall? Well, overall, I think it's quite good. What What's fascinating to me about Madden 18 is that it, it – is hap- it's a game that is released in the midst of a dramatic overhaul by Electronic Arts and how they make and distribute and monetize all of their sports games. Electronic Arts between FIFA and Madden and NHL and NBA, they produce probably 75% of the console sports games. And over the last three years, they have undergone a technology and an economic transformation. The technology transformation is moving all of their games to their Frostbite engine. So they're sort of they're, they're taking various pieces and puzzles of the underlying engine that produces all of these games and they're putting them all on a single platform so that moving forward, they can better utilize resources across the, the company. In addition, the economic model of these sports games has been completely flipped to where now, yes, sales are important, but they're nowhere near as important as the digital revenue that they get from their ultimate team modes. So the ultimate team generates dollars in the a word that ends in aliens and starts with the letter B. This year, 
This year, they're going to make more than a billion dollars of revenue from Ultimate Team and Ultimate Team inspired modes. Not millions, billions. So, which is why they have the money to throw at narrative modes and things. It's like, oh, why not? Let's just hire A list actors and make this thing. Why not? But that's what's so fascinating is because now they, they've, they're in a situation where they have multiple audiences for a single game. You've got the, the ultimate team, the, the, the ultimate team aficionados, people who base their entire gaming life around ultimate team. And there's a rabid community and they need to serve that because that is literally paying the bills. Then they've also got the long time, the, the 20 year plus veterans of this, of this, of this game who play generally speaking they'll play a year or two of their franchise and they want that to be as legitimate as possible they need to get more people into the game but the sales are going down because i believe one of the reasons the sales are going down not dramatically but they they, they peaked and are sort of now going down as far as unit sales because the game is very complex and it demands a lot from you so that is where the 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 long shot mode to some degree comes in long shot is that single player story mode. So they're serving a lot of different audiences they are undergoing a dramatic technology change and they're doing it all while delivering this game every single year. So it's just a fascinating game overall. It's, I well, think it's we go on. I just yeah. want to comment on that because I, I think you make a, a fascinating point and a, and a really interesting, uh, it, it, I, I agree with you. It's so obvious based on the onboarding process. When you turn on the game, it really is like, hey, this game is for a lot of different kinds of people. Which kind are you? It really is yeah. is a very interesting moment of turning on the game because it's like, hey, we're all things to all people. Which people are you? <laughs> we'll be that thing. Just let us know. And it's it's such a broad swath of of different kinds of gamers that they're addressing. It's hard to make – one thing that can address all those all those people. So I'm I'm curious to to hear what you think, how successful you think they've become. Well, it depends upon which one of those people I am. I'll tell you what what the the kind of person, the kind of Madden player that I am is. I play in my online franchise. I don't really play Ultimate Team. I I did play Longshot, which we'll talk about. But every single year when Madden comes out, we wait for two to four weeks for the first big patch. And then the same group of 12 to, to 14 of us play in our online league, which means that we log in and, and we pick our team. And then we go through three or four or five seasons worth of, of playing each other and battling and, and winning Super Bowls and doing drafts and all that stuff. And it's great. And for me personally, as long as they don't break that, I'm good. I'm in. Every single year because it's a it's a community based event that I play. Now, there is a group, uh, a vocal group within the Madden community that really feels that their franchise mode of which the online franchise is part of it has been neglected significantly over the past few years as they as EA has invested in Ultimate Team or Longshot. And, and they have in many cases, some legitimate gripes, how, you know, similar some of those things have been. Conversely, when you've only got nine or 10 months a year to make a game, you got to pick your spots. So overall, I'm quite happy with it. But just because I am doesn't necessarily mean that the very splintered community is. There's a lot of good things that they've done. I think it looks really, really good this year, but I'm playing on an OG PS4 and I'm noticing some stuttering, for example, that I haven't seen in the last few years. Is that because of frostbite? Is that because I'm not on a PS4 Pro? Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm noticing that 
yeah, the, basically the owner mode that I'm using is exactly the same. I'm okay with it, but I can certainly understand frustration. So I think overall it's a particularly strong game. I think knowing the context of everything going on underneath the covers sort of could either help me or hurt me in my opinion. I kind of have a sense for how much it takes to get this game in a shippable state with everything that's been going on. And so the fact for me that they haven't broken a lot, of which I really enjoy, I'm cool with. But by no means am I saying that's how everyone else feels or that's how anybody should feel. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm, as you guys probably know, I'm a pretty big football fan. And it's been years since I've seriously touched a Madden game. That's weird, right? That's weird. And I think that's kind of an issue with what a bloated – I mean bloated has a negative connotation. But it's what a – it's just it just become so large and intimidating in a lot of ways of, of uh, what even is this thing anymore? It's not a fun jump-in, jump-out type experience, although that's there. It doesn't feel like that from the outside. It feels like this crazy investment. Like, yeah, I got to – I got to really, you know, play seriously in in Madden if I want to have any fun. And I think ultimately a more simulated football experience is a messy thing. Like the idea of football as a video game is is tough to pull off if you want to create one that's realistic because a lot of plays in football, nothing much happens. A bunch of people pile up in a corner and that's not fun to do. And sometimes they're not supposed like, that's what's supposed to happen. Like right. you do that for the whole first quarter to lull the defense into thinking whatever, what, right? Like there's a whole right. strategy to it. That's like supposed to be boring. <laughs> yeah. But playing one character in a pile of dudes is, it's a hard thing to make fun, you know? And I think those of us that grew up on the old like Genesis Maddens where you just played as Bo Jackson and scored 400 points, it's like that was fun because it was ostensibly football, but it was really a video game. It was really an arcade game. And there is an arcade mode in in this Madden that is uh, – you know that they kind of say, is, hey, we'll, we'll give you a little more run up the score type feel to it. But it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to pull off to someone that's more – uh, casually associated with football video games, even though I'm, you know, passionate about the sport, I'm a little more casual about football video games in the sense that I'm not going to be doing what Rich is doing, which is like, I don't have a group of dudes that all, you know, play our team in a big franchise. So like, what brings me in for me, the thing that got me excited was long shot, which Rich has been talking about is the single player mode, which is a story based experience. It's basically Friday night lights, the video game. Um, you play as a character who is trying to make it in an NFL team and it is very much a cutscene heavy story narrative experience. Um, I was very excited because even in our subreddit, um, cool stories, bro posted, uh, a, a topic that said long shot single player mode in Madden is fantastic exclamation point. I'm, I'm excited about this. Maybe this is the thing that's going to bring me in. I've been looking from the sidelines, no pun intended, on um, other sports games having their story modes. I know NBA did it. FIFA has done it. I haven't tried any of those. But football is my sport, man. I mean, I love the NBA as well. But I was excited. Like, here we go. We're going to jump into a story game. This is what's going to bring me back into Madden. Now, I've been traveling all all weekend and I didn't get a ton of time with long shot mode, but I did play some of it. And so far, 
it's not what I was hoping for, but I'm curious, Rich, what you think of long shot mode. Sure. Uh, first of all, the two people who are most responsible for long shot mode are basically friends of mine. One of them is named Todd Zuniga, who I'm sure plenty of people familiar with you guys know. Todd was at One Up many years ago and and was part of the group of podcasts of which one of yours was one, which begat We Can Confirm, which begat ultimately, at least to some degree, responsible for this show and responsible in many ways for, for my show, uh, the Press Row Podcast. And Mike Young, I've known Todd for like 15 years. We've worked together. We've been friends. Long long story. And Mike Young, who is the creative director, uh, I I wouldn't call him a friend of mine, but he's a guy who I have known for, for at least 10 years. And so I know them. But the fact that I know them doesn't change my perspective on whether Longshot is good or not, but it certainly does make I got a lot more out of it because I know those two and I know how passionate they are about doing this the right way. This is not a cynical EA ploy. This is two guys who have wanted to do something like this for a long time. So having said that, it was much better than I was expecting. Not that I was wasn't expecting great things from Todd and Mike, but the uh, intense number of roadblocks that Mike and Todd had to get over to get this into the game from a technology perspective, from a licensing perspective. Remember, they, they can't tell any story they want to tell. I mean, they can't talk about, I'm sure, concussions, for example, or, you know, in the NFL, this is an NFL licensed game. There's no company or organization that protects their brand more diligently than the NFL. So with all of that, and I've completed it, and I'm actually playing through again because I want to get a different result. I, this is much better than I expected it to be. There's a lot going on here that's good. The actors and the dialogue in many ways are tremendous. The music that is used throughout both the original and the, the, the licensed music to convey mood I think is excellent. How long uh, is the, it in total? I, you could be done in about four and a half hours, I think. Yeah, because I played and, I played a very short amount of time and and I exited out to the menu and it said twelve percent done and I was like oh wow twelve percent okay um, yeah so I was I was yeah. surprised but yeah it's yeah fair enough right so th- there's a lot going on here that I like now you do need to suspend your belief a little bit when you get to certain parts of the story but you kind of have to do that with almost any kind of a video game story anyway. So I'm you know I, I I don't know Christian you had a chance but this is really aimed at both of you. It's not aimed at me. It's aimed for you guys who are what I'll call the lapsed Madden or lapsed sports gamer. So before I talk about it more, Christian, I don't know if you had a chance to play, but I'm more interested in what you guys think about it than than what I do. Well, in the the chat here, uh, could 432 says long shot is a telltale game with football. That's an interesting expression. Yeah. It is, and, and there's a lot of different mechanics. It's not just making dialogue choices. You have to – there's more Madden in here than I thought. Uh, there's certain times when you're playing in high school football games where you're not playing Madden, but you're playing a lot closer to Madden than not. And then there's other times when you're trying to accomplish certain football-related tasks where you have to do very different kinds of things and use different control mechanics. So there's a lot of video gaminess, too, that's not Madden, but there's also some football stuff in there, too. It, it, it throws a whole lot of stuff at you yeah. in a very interesting way. Christian? Uh, so I streamed it for about 90 minutes is what I've played. You can find it on my Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer, and it'll be archived on my YouTube later, which is Christian Spicer 713. 
Um, Rich, no offense to your friends. I hate it. It's awful. Awful. I you can see they <laughs> no spent offense. money on it. <laughs> no offense, but I'm gonna draw out the word awful in your it's, face. It's bad. It's bad. It's a poorly made telltale game the madden aspects of the game that are there it's not the same way that you play the game when you're playing football so it's not actually teaching you i gotta back up so i'm gonna be scattered it's not actually teaching you how to play madden because in this game you'll throw a pass in a totally different way than you throw a pass when you ever play the game of football uh it's quick time events all over the place it's decision making for a story narrative that i know that telltale games do this too that are inconsequential in the story that it's telling and it's a cast of characters that i guess i'm supposed to hate because i hate all of them they are all pieces of crap they're doing the sleazy like bad take b-movie version of ballers which is already a b-movie version of entourage which is already a sexist misogynistic show that was fun for its time but now seems dated and crude and you have all of this wrapped up with excellent music and a story that is just dragged on in a way that's like who cares and why am i playing it this way when they change the mechanics halfway through once sometimes you throw a pass doing this another time you throw a pass doing this sometimes you don't get to control it at all sometimes you're in the middle of an engrossing story moment and then a random horribly ui designed pop-up comes up that's like hey dude (laughs) push a to advance and you're like what and then you get into things where it's like super important. You got to do this. You got to go do this. Don't let me down. And then I fail because I'm not great at matting. And I get this ugly pop up again. That's like, hey, you can't proceed until you do that right. And I'm like, cool. I'm here for 40 minutes because I can't do the stupid thing or tell me it's it's bad. It's not good. Well, the characters are annoying. One last thing. And it suffers from the same problem that Telltale does, but in a worse way, where it can't cut on the action appropriately. Like you throw a pass and the guy catches it and then it catches cuts to like a jerk bag in the stands who's sitting there in his idol animation. And then like half a second later, he goes like, yeah, and like celebrates, but he looks like a VR character celebrating. And then it's on him for too long as he ragdolls. And then it cuts back to an excellent protagonist animated face and lip syncing while the peripheral characters look like garbage. Like it's two years from now, this would be great. But as it is, it's, it's bad. What do you mean? What do you mean two years from now? If they keep iterating on it and oh, they do oh, it two years from now. Uh, and Nomad uh, NP in the chat says, uh, Christian, don't sugarcoat it. Tell us how you really feel. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I uh, I have a different criticism and I, I have not played a ton of it, but I, I had a different expectation of what this is. I wanted I wanted Puzzle Quest. I wanted um, a a narrative that wrapped around actual Madden games. I wanted like, give me a reason to play Madden games other than my love of my home team or my franchise. Like I thought it would be really cool to have cutscenes in between games of Madden or even snippets of games of Madden where it's like a cutscene, And then we cut to the last two minutes and I got to run a two minute drill in Madden because that's where the story led up to is like all this pressure situation. And, and then he got into this two minute drill and I have to, or, you know, there's a, it was a, a crazy game. I, I'll never forget how it went down. And, you know, it cuts to like that moment where I have to execute this drive to do a certain thing. Puzzle quest was that, right? It was, it was the same game, the match three game that you play, but it gives you a context. And I was like, Oh, that would be really cool in a sports game. Give me a, a different context than just, Make your team win. Um, that's not what this is at all. It, it, it really is its own beast. It's its own storytelling. It, it is a, a di- completely different game. It's a mode where you 
interact with this Madden game in a way that you never do in any other aspect of it, uh, which I find to be a a strange decision um, and one that is not particularly satisfying to me. And as somebody who wanted this to be the reason I'm brought back into the franchise, like it doesn't do that job. It, 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 it's like, it's a separate game. And then, okay, you can also, also play Madden on the same disc. Um, what, whereas I was hoping it was like, well, here's a cool way to get you into playing the game that everybody's been enjoying all these years. And you've been sitting on the sidelines for because you have this cool way in. That's now interesting. One other, oh, sorry, you going, you do something else, Jeff? No, no. I think that was rich breathing. Oh, Inhaling uh, to talk. One thing, one thing, Rich, and I'll let you r- tell me why I'm wrong. Another thing that bothers me about this game as like the gateway drug for like getting me back into it. I I can watch football. I'm like a football fan that like can you know whatever. I kind of know what's going on, but I'm not. I never played football. I don't know formation names and stuff like that. Like I can play Madden okay, but I'm not. I'm not great. I'm never going to play online and, and do well. And in this game, part of the the story, it's like you proving your football smarts. And it, it it never teaches you anything. So you have to go in with this knowledge of like, what's this play? And then not only do I get it wrong and feel dumb because it's showing me a gamified version of like, you lose XP, you do dumb. But then this other character across from me is like, you stupid idiot. And I'm like, why am I going to, you're just dog, it's, ah, it's weird. And they don't, there's never like, hey, you, you know, your, your uh, coach is never like, look, we got a quiz tomorrow, study your playbook. And then I get to go home and read my instruction book and be like, oh, this is a 22 and, and that's a long one and that's a free safety and that's a yeah. regular DB. Yeah. I it agree just, with you. That would have been a cool thing. you in the thing. room and it's like, don't suck, idiot. And then you learn how to pass one way and then it's like, great, you learn how to do that. Next time you do it, you better not fail and we totally change the controls and how you do it. It's so weird, Rich. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. Remember, I didn't make this, and I didn't know that Todd and Mike were doing this, by the way, until it got announced. So I was saying their names is making it personal for me, and I feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) So this is – I'm actually going to have those guys on my show this week coming up where I'm going to ask them some questions. So one of the things that I got originally frustrated by was what you're talking about, Christian, which is – now, wait a second. Sometimes I'm passing by just using the the button uh, that is assigned to the receiver. And other times, all of a sudden, wait, I got to hit L2, and then I got to, like, move my, my my cursor to the spot and hit the button in time, and I don't even know what's happening, and nobody gave me a tutorial on this. And what it is doesn't tell you on? what button to push until it's right there. Right. Now, if they had just used the same mechanic over and over and over again, all of a sudden, you would have been great, and you would have won every single thing. you got to remember, and this is a, a minor spoiler, so I apologize to anybody. The character that you're playing has been out of football for a little while and is now trying to get back in. And so he's getting thrown a whole lot of stuff that he's either completely unfamiliar with or is being asked to do different things by different people. And I think part of the whole point of it is to make you uncomfortable and make you understand the kind of struggle that this guy might be up against in trying to accomplish this. The first time I played through this, my I was terrible. Absolutely terrible. I failed a lot of the challenges. My draft status sunk the further I got into it. And I got a particular ending that was attached to to my guy not performing that well. I'm going through a second time. I know a little bit better about what to what to expect and I'm getting better at it. I think part of that part of and I'm not saying it's the right decision or the wrong decision, but I'm thinking part of that confusion or changing things up on you is supposed to be there because you're kind of playing catch up 
And in the NFL, you, there's not a whole lot of room to play catch up. If you're not great, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of problems. Yeah, I mean, the first time I was at the Combine and the, the coach is like, all right, let me see what you got. Throw a pass. And I literally threw it like a foot and a half in front of my foot because I didn't know – I didn't – the game doesn't tell you what you're supposed to do. I just – I was like, oh, what? Uh, I push a button and then you just, and the guy's like, okay. I was like, and if that happened in real life, the coach would be like, why are you here? <laughs> just leave. <laughs> just leave. You literally threw a pass a foot in front of your own feet. Anyway, um, so – it's a shame, I think, that that uh, this feels like a missed opportunity for me. I still think the game itself is is you know excellent and, and high quality. Uh, I'm just not qualified to kind of comment on on that because I haven't been playing these games year after year. Uh, so I'm glad Rich was here to give give context there. Uh, let's move on and talk about some other games because we have a ton to get to. Uh, Christian, let's talk about Uncharted: The Lost Legacy because I talked about it last week. You hadn't played it yet. In fact, you left the show. While I was talking about it, so you wouldn't be spoiled, was all that effort worth it? What do you think? So, are we doing the thing at the end of this? Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a spoiler filled uh, spoiler talk uh, as bonus content on the end of this episode. Christian and I are going to record it after we're done here, and you'll hear it at the end of this episode. So, this will be spoiler free. But Christian, I want to hear your overall reaction. Yeah, so I also have I think it's like fifteen minute spoiler free review on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer seven one three. So you can watch that there. Um I loved this game. It has quickly rocketed to I think the top position of my favorites of the year, which is hard because it's like recency versus Horizon Zero Dawn and and everything else. And I, like I actually it. haven't lit go Christian, ahead. Christian, I like your uh, your your reviews are awful or love. You gotta have you got everything's gotta be a brand baby you know you gotta find <laughs> stretched, you gotta stretched vowels the spicer <laughs> way yeah thumbs up two thumbs up is so you know 2000 late now it's long long vowels are emojis um i actually haven't listened to you talk about it from last week yet because i wanted to talk about it with you before i listened to you talk about it uh i loved it i absolutely loved it it is currently still my favorite uncharted uh, Uncharted 2, like any other day, could maybe be that top spot. See, that's crazy it, to me because you are like Mr. Uncharted. You love the Uncharted. This is the favorite Uncharted? It's so good. It's so well done. It's the shorter play time. Uh, Uncharted got longer as the series progressed, as a franchise progressed. And this is back to that. I think it took me about eight hours and it's tight. It still has moments where the characters rest and take a moment down, but it ne- the story never feels like Remember the question we got, do you ever look up how much more game do you have left? Like this never gets into that territory. I played it in two sittings. I stayed up, I stayed up till 2 a.m. one night playing it when I had to get up at 5.30 the next morning because I just could not put the controller down the way it is pulling you forward from beautiful kind of letting the characters rest and you're taking in some of the most beautiful scenery you've seen in video games to set piece to set piece to set piece and uncharted 4 suffered from i think not having enough set pieces to carry its 22 hour length or whatever it was but this game it has so many wonderful set pieces and it only needs those few because it's only eight hours in length yeah doesn't it like point to the fact that most the uncharted games are just too long I think three and four are a little too long. I, I think three suffered from uh, trying to fit too much in with the narrative and explaining a character with uh, uh, flashback type stuff that bogged that narrative down. It's a weird thing to criticize, right? Because these those games are excellent across the board. We, You and I agree that we love the Uncharted games. 
there's not a bad one in the bunch, but <clears throat> this one that's a shorter sort of side project, it's sort of supposed to feel like glorified DLC that became its own game. It almost shows that most of the Uncharted games, you get to this point where it's like, okay, I'm ready for this to wrap up now. And then there's like four more chapters. This one, it just feels like the right right length for these things, which are ostensibly cinematic experiences. A cinematic experience maybe overstays its welcome a little sometimes? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I loved all of them, right? Like it's until Last of Us 2 comes out, it's up there with my favorite franchise of all time. So for me to say that the other games um, overstayed their welcome, would I'd be like an unfair critique because I, I loved all of these games. I've played them all multiple times and it's rare that I do that. But I, I do agree that after coming off of Uncharted 4 and now into Lost Legacy, uh, this it felt such like a taut tight adventure and i think where they put the air quote open world thing in in the middle of it is a perfect place for it where you're in this you know this beautiful expanse and the things that you're doing are uncharted version of breath of the wild shrines where they're not as complicated as a breath of the wild puzzle but they're very much uncharted-esque puzzles and they're all different and some of the i think one of those in particular was one of the most beautiful uh, environments of the game that I found. So I'm glad that I did all of those. And then I think overall the, way- the puzzles in Lost Legacy are A, of a higher quality than have ever been in an Uncharted game, and B, are actually challenging. Yeah. They're it, not like just I, cross-reference I, your your journal, which is basically what all the Uncharted puzzles are. Cross-reference your journal and do it right. This is like think. You got to think. There's not going to be an easy way out of here. Just think it through. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I have, I think, yeah, my full stream, my full playthrough of this is in two parts on my Twitch, and I have currently, I think, the first four hours on my YouTube, and I'll get all the rest up at some point, too. Um, it's it's so wonderful, and Chloe and Nadine, the way they interact with each other and their perspective to the series, like, you know, at this point, I'm like, screw the Nathan Drake Uncharted movie, I want Chloe and Nadine. They, they're, they're so, they're so wonderful together, it was... Um, uh oh come on don't blank on me now i'm blanking but the the the, their dynamic that they bring to the franchise is so wonderful and fresh and someone in the chat uh zendrifter said would you like it if you haven't played the others i think it is a great third person action game but this this game also is so smart with its references and winks and knowing nods to the other games where if you've played all of them and have a appreciation for the franchise it's that much richer and it does some and we'll talk about it during the spoiler part but it does some really fun things with subverting expectations subverting expectations that you have while still being very true to the franchise's core it's and i don't know how they made it in a year i apologize to everyone on the team that had to get divorced or didn't see their kids or whatever yeah, the you turnaround did around time is just ridiculous for that putting out a, something of that quality so close to after uh, four it was yeah. released it's, it's insane <clears throat> we'll talk more about this uh in spoilers at the at the end of the show after the end of the show i should say um, but, uh, yes, we're in agreement. This is an excellent, excellent game. It's, it's, it's so good and so fun and has some of the best set pieces of the series. Uh, it, it does all the things Uncharted does, does well. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it, it makes enough difference and enough change to make it so much, so feel fresh because of the new characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I'll talk, uh, about a, a game now. We'll do, do this ro- round robin style. Um, I mentioned I was traveling all weekend. I went to Chicago for a family event, but 
I got the best gift before I, I left. I got an early copy of Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, and I played it on my Switch on the go. And guys, I love this game. I love this game so much. Uh, I loved it at E3, but I had some fears at E3. I had some worries, you know, because I dig that XCOM turn-based strategy uh, template. I, I like that kind of game, but I was a little worried that because we're in Mario World, everything was going to be a little dumbed down. It was, was going to be simplified, maybe a little too easy. Not the case. Not the case. This is a dense interesting strategy game that does not just feel like it's been lifted from XCOM. It really feels like it's its own thing. It's got a lot going on as the game progresses. I've, I've played a ton of it. I'm not quite finished, but uh, I've played many, many hours of it on two flights to Chicago and, and every, <laughs> every 20 minutes I could steal away from the family while I was there. Uh, I played so much of this game and it just gets better and better and better as it goes. It gets more difficult as it goes. It constantly is is throwing new kinds of enemies at you that have new behaviors that really change up how you have to strategize to, to take them down. It keeps adding new heroes for you to swap in and swap out of your three-member team that also have new abilities. It's got cool uh, talent trees and skill upgrades and weapon upgrades that you're constantly feeling more powerful and adding new abilities into your repertoire it is a very good strategy game inside an adorable mario world i think the rabbits are completely superfluous they could have been lifted out in fact i said this on newest latest best today when i talked about it if this had just been released without rabbits and no one mentioned who made it everybody would assume that it was a nintendo game because it is that high quality that's high praise yes it is polished it is beautiful i mean gorgeous the environments are spot on mario but also add new flourishes <laughs> there's a you know you've played a uh, you've played a desert world in mario a million times you've played an ice world in mario a million times how about a desert ice world mario plus rabbits has a desert ice world which is both at the same time really clever and awesome but that's just the beginning there's like a spooky world there's it's it's so cool and when you're not in the uh, XCOM style turn-based strategy battles, which makes up the meat of what you do in this game. The whole other side of it is equally compelling and fun. You're wandering around these worlds, finding your path through uh, to get to the end. And there are tons of optional uh, little puzzles to do. There are puzzles that are not optional and almost all of them are clever. They're not Super difficult, but they are almost always interesting and fun. And uh, you are getting items. There's a really robust loot system in this game that is actually cool that unlocks uh, new weapons for you to purchase. And you purchase those weapons with coins. So you're actually incentivized to get as many coins as you can. And you can get coins in a whole manner of ways. And that stuff is really, really fun. Moving blocks, flipping switches going through pipes, figuring out how to get from one place to another and solve these little puzzles is a great way to break up the turn-based strategy fights and is equally interesting and fun. It's fantastic. So the question I want to ask you is kind of the same one you asked Rich for Madden. Like, I'm not an XCOM player, is but I like Mario. I mean, I'd murder the rabbits if I could. <laughs> uh, but this game looks great. It looks appealing. Is it dumb enough for me to like it or would I still not like it? It might be. It might very well be. The thing that it does to make the whole XCOM 
um, template accessible is is several fold. <laughs> First of all, it gets rid of fog of war. One of the things that makes those games so difficult is wandering into a place and not knowing what lurks behind the next corner, right? You have to sort of venture forth to explore and figure out where the enemies even are. This game does have enemies that will pop up and surprise you in levels, but they give you a, a couple of, of rounds to see, like their little ears, their little rabid ears pop up out of the ground. And it's like, okay, a bad enemy's coming up right there. Beware, beware. But you get a full layout of the entire map right away and you don't and you you know you you can strategize where to go and on top of that it just blows the doors off of movement around the map hmm, it gives bad. you it gives you so many options to get around and you can cover such huge swaths of of real estate by first of all you 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 know just moving or you can move to another character and then bounce on their head and leap to another location so that gives you a farther distance you can travel. You can also knock uh, an enemy by sliding. If you move through an enemy's uh, square, you slide and damage them and then keep going. And there's also pipes on every map. Uh, every uh, encounter map has pipes that actually will let you cover very large distances sometimes. So, for example, one move, one single move of one single character might be – I start moving, I slide and hit a character, I then move to a pipe, go through that pipe, come out that pipe the other side, move through another pipe, come out that pipe the other side, move to cover, and shoot. So I damaged an enemy and moved all the way across the other side of the map and shot them from a flanked position all in one move. And it allows you to break up the individual actions of each of your characters so I can do that entire move, get my one character all the way to another position, and then move to a different character and use that character to jump on the head of the character that I just moved into position, pop him to another place, and then have them both shoot from different locations across the map. So it's so dynamic and so full of opportunity to get around and 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 really move across great distances that you find yourself coming up with some really awesome planning and and strategic uh you know tactics that make the game I think more accessible, more interesting and more fun because you feel more powerful and you know XCOM in a large sense feels very scary. You know, you're like constantly just trying to prevent your dudes from dying. This game feels much more dynamic than that, much more open than that. And you feel like you're bouncing all across the map, even when it's challenging. I mean, I have definitely lost some some fights and had to start over. But the game is very forgiving in that way. There's no permadeath. There's also a button at the beginning of every match that says, hey, do you want to do this on easy mode? Which I have not done yet, I'm very proud to say. But we'll give you like 150% health and some extra bonuses if you want to, you know, if you're having a problem get, getting through stuff. But it, you know, it can be challenging. I just think that it is much more accessible to people like you that might not be into these kinds of games. So part of me is wondering, like, would this game click with you if it wasn't Mario? And the reason I'm asking uh, kind of twofold. One, I think it's surprising that you've spent so much time with this game and haven't spent really any time uh, or any, I don't not much or not, I don't know, whatever, with Splatoon 2 or ARMS, which are like Nintendo's big games, right? Or Mario Kart 8 Deluxe either, which I think you maybe had 
Mario Kart 8 for Wii U, but you didn't spend tons of time with that. Um, and Zelda kind of, you, you appreciate it, but it didn't click with you as like game yeah. of the decade. And right. so here, here are all these Nintendo games that you either played a tiny bit of or didn't play at all because you were like, not for me, which I totally get. Um, and then this game seems to have really hooked you. And I almost wonder, is, would it, is this a healthy sign for third party stuff on the console? Uh, maybe not because it has Mario all over it. Feels first party. Would you have jumped into this game if it was Rayman versus Rabbids and the game was the same? Or did you need Mario as your gateway drug? Because I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, what pulled you into this game when the other Nintendo games that are Nintendo games, you were like, nah. That's a good question, dude. Uh, I think that certainly having Mario in it and the look and feel of that world is a lubricant <laughs> to getting me in. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I love these kinds of games anyway, so I probably would have given this a shot. Either way, I mean, when this was first announced, I think all of us were like, what? Lame. Rabbids and Mario? Ugh. And then at E3, I played it and was like, oh my god, it's actually really, really good. Um, so, who knows? If it had just been all Rabbids and all Ubisoft, if I would have been as eager to try it, but I think I would have liked it because I dig these kinds of games. But certainly, the look and feel goes a long, long way. I mean, this game has a ton of charm, and all of the environments are lovingly created. It feels authentic to Mario. It is gorgeous and vibrant and, you know, big and chunky like Mario games should be. It does everything right. The only thing that bothers me about this game, honestly, is that they sort of build in a forced replay because a part of the thing once you complete a world is that you get to go through the uh, washing machine, time machine that the rabbits have and go back and replay those and try to imp- improve your rating because you get like trophies at the end of every battle based on how well you did. There's like a target number of turns it takes and whether or not any one of your characters was murdered <laughs> through it or knocked out. Um, so they want you to go back and replay it and they build in areas that you can't access the first time around, you literally cannot. You don't have the skill yet. Beating a world later on gives you the skill to like move a heavy block, which is a gate that is just arbitrary. Like we just haven't given you the opportunity to move a heavy block yet. You'll get it later. No no reason, no story reason. We just haven't given it to you yet. So you'll walk up to these heavy blocks and push a button and it'll be like, nope, can't do that yet. You haven't learned it. And it's like, oh, so there's a cool chest behind here I just can't access it until I come back to this later. And that doesn't feel good. It just doesn't feel good to be like, you just can't do this yet. Sorry. Uh, so that's really my only gripe with the game, which is otherwise stellar wall to wall. I mean, I love it. And and you're right. I maybe haven't given fair shake to Splatoon and, and other games. And I, yes, uh, admire Zelda Breath of the Wild and it, uh, recognize it as being a seminal work. But it didn't click with me. And so I think right now, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle is my favorite Switch game. And I think based off our, I mean, hopefully it changes, but like how we both felt about Odyssey leaving E3, like it might stay that way. (laughs) Yeah, it might. It might be the best Mario game to come out this year. For me, for me, for me. I know a lot of people are going to. And for Rich. Rich, don't comment. And for Rich. It'll also be Rich's favorite. (laughs) All right. So we're going long already. I I knew this was going to be a long one, but there's so many other games to talk about. Rich, what what game would you like to talk about? Well, I'm going to blast through my sort of Switch compilation. I love my Nintendo Switch. I have since I, I, I got it day one. Partially because of Christian's raving review of it last week, I went out and picked up Sonic Mania. So I'm good. It's all 
full. No, I'm just kidding. It is great. <laughs> <laughs> I you hey, that's trademarked, some. buddy. You got to get your own catchphrase. <laughs> you're going to go awesome. Smash <laughs> a watermelon or something. Get your own bit out. <laughs> it is terrific. It is. It is. Uh, and I'm not, by the way, I don't have a. Unlike with the Mario franchise, I don't have a tremendous uh, relationship with Sonic. I mean, I obviously had a Sonic game back when I had my Sega a long time ago, but I also have experienced a lot more lousy Sonic games than good ones over the course of the last 20 years or so. So it, it, it's tremendous fun. It's a, it's, it looks great. It sounds great. You have to sort of, learn that sonic is sonic and sonic is not mario in that and you said a lot of this last week christian so i don't want to i don't want to repeat what you said other than to say that it's a different feel it's a different style but boy it, it plays great and you really really learn a lot about speed and movement and momentum in ways that uh, are really just really special it's it's a wonderful game so i love it i've been having a blast playing it I also want to mention I picked up Namco Museum on the Switch as well. Not because I didn't already have Pac-Man or Galaga or Dig Dug on probably five other platforms, but having them on a Switch is another new fun way to have them on a, on a, on a platform. <laughs> and you get 13 games, right? Pac-Man, Galaga, Dig Dug, Spy Kid, Rolling Thunder, Splatterhouse, some other stuff on there. It, it's I, For $30, I'm not going to go out and say it's a great value, but it's valuable enough to where I spent 30 bucks on it. And it's really nice to have it on the go and it's nice to have it on the big board and it's just a, it's a very nice package that i'm happy that i have i would love it if ms pac-man was on there would have made me feel even better about it but uh I'm but what if they released it as a console with the games bundled on it and then you couldn't buy that console would that be a better way <laughs> to package these old games i don't know if i would use the word better maybe <laughs> but that's how i would do it uh, but I'm a big fan of Namco Museum on the Switch. It's just an, it's a wonderful play. And I have a, a couple of things that are cool. Like, for example, if you want to play it sideways in the arcade style, you just click the left trigger or the left button, whatever that thing is, and it'll just flip the, the, the rotation of it. Like little things like that, I think are just really fun. So it's great. And the last thing I want to mention on the Switch is arms. Christian, I know you're not a big fan of arms. I've settled into a nice little groove with arms where for 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes at a, at a time, I'll just pick it up and I will battle that one character because I'm now, I think in the Grand Prix, I'm on Grand Prix level four and I'm like up to the ninth out of 10. And it takes me have 20 to 30 minutes to beat each one of these guys and then advance to the next level. And I'm not a fighting game guy, so I think that has a lot to do with it. I, you know, it, it's not my genre, but I really, I, I enjoy the art style. I enjoy the the subtle humor. I enjoy the variety of characters, and it's, it's not like I play this game a lot, but a couple times a week I'll pick it up and I'll just battle until I finally beat that character and move up to ultimately, uh, you know, unlock and, and beat the the Grand Prix. And like I said, level four is where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm number nine of level four, so I got two more guys to beat. So I've been having fun with that. So that's sort of my, that's my Switch playlist. Are, so are you playing with motion control or with a regular controller for arms? I play most of the time undocked, so I'm just using the, the yeah, the, you know, the buttons and and joysticks and so on. I'm glad you're loving it. That's cool. Yeah, we finally got somebody on the show that, that likes that game and can talk positively about it because I haven't really even played it, but um, I know Christian was not impressed. So I'm glad to hear. I know people are digging it, man. It's um, it's uh, an interesting thing. I wonder if we'll get an ARMS 2. I think it's doing really well. I think it sold a million copies. It did so well, yeah. And they just added another character, which I haven't 
seen, but I, I did see the headline that there's at least one new character. So they're 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 giving it some DLC love too. Christian, you got a chance to play the World War II Call of Duty Private Beta. Yeah, I got a code for that, um, and I also have, I think, an hour of that on archived on my, I think it's on my Twitch and my YouTube, so you can see me playing for an hour. Um, I, was, I played Domination and Hardpoint, I think were the two modes I played that are kind of carryover modes. Um, the biggest addition which I didn't stream is the mode War, and it is... Um, oh God, what is it called in Battlefield? There's, it's like, it's the big battle thing, right? Where like objective, cha- objectives change as you progress and it's the big new addition to it. I, I'm not sure if it will catch on. I'd love to see it become the esport just because it's, you know, such a different take on the Call of Duty formula. Not that other games haven't done this before, but it's, you know, the beginning, you got to secure the point. You're pushing up a hill. Uh, and then you, your team secures the point and it's 6v6. I believe. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, you secure a point and then it's like, okay, now we got to build this bridge. And so people need to play their roles. Like if everybody runs over to build the bridge, you're going to get mowed down, right? Like you got to have people in support, sniping the team from the other side. Um, and the, it feels pretty well balanced, like where people certainly complete the tasks, but other times they they don't. I'm not sure how it will play out over the long run as, as better and better people get involved with it. But it's an interesting, you know, mode to see come to Call of Duty, and it makes sense with this World War II aesthetic that they've gone back to. The rest of the game, and this is for someone, when I played my stream, I mean, I'm last on my team every time. I'm not good at Call of Duty. The last time I was good at it was the beta for Call of Duty 4, because I think I was one of the first people in it, <laughs> and like it hadn't exploded with popularity yet. Um but it feels very Call of Duty-ish, right? Like it's boots on the ground again and you're not jetpacking and wall running, but it's still it's still fast and it's not realistic in the way that, you know, you're in the trenches, like you're people are running, sprinting, and jumping as they're shooting. You know, it still looks like that classic Call of Duty first person shooter that you've seen. My what grandpa I really did, li- the greatest generation. That's right. That's right. What I like about it is the the maps, at least in this beta, they are tight. And some of the other Call of Duties, I thought the maps kind of got a little too big where you had moments of inactivity uh, or only kind of one major choke point that people would try to control. These maps seem more interesting and, and tighter, but they feel like they're, they did, they do a good job of making you feel like it's part of a bigger war. Like clearly there are some invisible walls or mountains or like a cliff that you can't go down, but visually it's not as jarring as some of these maps can be sometimes where it's, you know, it feels like, OG Quake or Doom where you're on this floating island in space that you can't leave. Um, so it gives it a cool look and feel. I think it will do well. I know some people are, are you know, already complaining about it. Not great, blah, blah, blah. But I think going back to the World War II aesthetic will pull people back in that have maybe lapsed on the game. And it, it feels like that comfort food to them. Uh, I'm curious to see how the single player stuff is, but the multiplayer, it's... You know, it's Call of Duty-ing. It's, it's doing what it does. And the War Edition, I think, could uh, could make some new fans as well. Cool, man. Uh, I got a chance to play Early Access on Dauntless. If you don't know about Dauntless, Dauntless is basically Monster Hunter, but done by a Western studio. Uh, it just entered early, early alpha. This game is very, very much uh, not done. So... Um, be aware of that. And it's, it shows, I mean, the game is not fully formed. Uh, A lot of UI stuff is still clunky. And uh, I, I'm very excited to see where it goes and how it comes together as it approaches 
uh, its beta state and its open beta and eventually release. But I'm one of those people that's looked from the outside in on Monster Hunter and felt a little, um, you know, a little envious of the people that love that game and just haven't really been able to get into Monster Hunter. I never really thought playing it on a 3DS was going to be my jam. I wanted to look great. I wanted to look beautiful and awesome. And so I was excited to see a Western studio try their hand at this formula uh, because that's what I was looking for earlier. <laughs> and um, and it, kind of make it a little more accessible, a little more beautiful. The game really is uh, great to look at. I mean, I played it on PC. I think it's coming to consoles as well. But uh, this is very much that formula, very much the Monster Hunter uh, go out, fight a big thing in this universe. They're called behemoths, fight a behemoth, take it down with a group of uh, other players, uh, and get loot, which you use to craft better items to take down better, bigger behemoths and rinse repeat. Uh, this game is not ready for prime time. It's not, not out yet. It's not done. Not all the content is there, but it shows a lot of promise and I'll, I'll talk about it more as uh, it you know, it gets closer to release, but visually it's incredible. The the behemoths look great. It's got this kind of cartoony, almost um, superhero aesthetic with the characters. But the behemoths all are so interesting looking, and um, taking them down is really a, a marathon, not a sprint. Just like in Monster Hunter, you you don't get to see their hit points. You just kind of tell from looking at them that you're you're getting close to defeating them. It's cool. And uh, it might be the game that gets me into Monster Hunter if Monster Hunter World isn't that game, which comes soon too. But um, I have very positive feelings about Dauntless, even if it's uh, you know still not quite there as far as a smooth user experience. All right, guys. Um, let's do some quick questions. Quick, 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 quick. Quick questions are where you ask us stuff and we do our best not to screw it up. You can send us quick questions by sending them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. There's a sticky thread there at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. But the best way, honestly, is to send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Just title them quick question. We'll get you on the show. Uh, this one comes from Chad. He says, quick question. We all know Jeff loves the newest, latest, and best, but what do you guys do with tech and games that are no longer newest, latest, or best? For example, you buy an Xbox One, and then you buy an Xbox One X. Do you sell the old tech, or are you a tech hoarder? Rich, what is your response? I am a hoarder. I wasn't, but I'm now glad that I became one I used to back when I bought a lot more games on disc. I used to then trade them in to buy the next game and then trade them in to buy the next game. But uh, I've kind of stopped doing that, not so much because I go digital, but more because I just kind of got rid of everything that I want to get rid of. And every game I still have left is something that I still like. And from a hardware perspective, the last time I got rid of something was uh, my Sega Genesis. And I literally have regretted it ever since. <laughs> so I got every other thing that I bought after that still safely tucked away. My original PlayStation, my OG Xbox, GameCube, all that stuff. So nothing, I, I'm I'm the tech hoarder. Nothing feels quite as bad as that, right? I remember when I was a kid and I sold my Atari 2600 for $50. And I was like, oh, $50, that'll never run out. And now I just wish I still had a Atari 2600 in the box somewhere. Uh, yep. Christian, are you a hoarder or a 
uh, recycler? Column A, column B. Sometimes I recycle when I wish I hoarded. Other times I hoard because I can't recycle. Uh, you know, sometimes you get stuck with old tech. I think I still have like a very like original aluminum MacBook sitting somewhere that maybe that will be worth something someday. Uh, or <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm also in the process of, well, we'll see if they survive. I think they'll be fine. Two-story house. Um, getting a bunch of my old Genesis games back from my folks. So, yeah, you get rid of and then you get old and you wish you kept, I think is the cycle that I go through. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely a hoarder. Although I'm trying to be better. I'm I'm giving my uh, Xbox 360 to uh, family friends who have kids that are like, uh, you know, 10 years old. And they're like, oh, you know, we're, you know, our Xbox is on its last last legs. I was like, you don't have a 360? I'll just give you mine. I don't need to keep it. It's all backwards compatible anyway. I don't, what, what's good is it doing sitting in my garage in a box? I don't need to do that. So we'll see. We'll see uh, which family friends all get showered with various VR headsets <laughs> in the future. Uh, quick question. This comes from Ellen Saldivar who says, uh, what are the best indie game companies? Companies where you would buy any game they make thought this was a perfect question for you, Rich, as somebody that supports indie game developers. So what are your go-to indie game companies? Well, other than every single one of my clients who are amazing and you should all buy all of their products, uh, I, Drinkbox Studios is a particular favorite of mine. They have made games like uh, Severed and Guacamelee, but the, the game that originally drew me to Drinkbox was a game called Mutant Blobs Attack, which to this day remains just, a, in my mind, one of the coolest cutest most interesting fun little platformers i've ever played so drinkbox studios is when they make a game i go buy it it's awesome christian do you have a, a sight unseen indie buys i no really it's like a sight unseen i don't know um there no i don't know <laughs> Well, I would wait to see. Why Why would I buy Unseen? Because of the track record. It's like going to see the next Martin Scorsese movie because it's Martin Scorsese. Have you seen some of his movies? I've um, seen all his movies. <laughs> there are hits and misses, and there's a hits and misses here too. But like, you get the benefit of the doubt because they're track record, right? Yeah. I mean, this this indie Naughty Dog I'm a big fan of. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh, you're such a homer. Uh, you're such a homer I don't Moon Studios. Uh, and I'm excited about Ori too. I don't know if that they're you know published by Microsoft. I don't know if that counts. I'm trying to think of like Drinkbox is a great and Mutant Blobs Attack is 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 a great game. I'm trying to think of some true. I'll help you out. Side unseen. Give me some. I'll help you out. Super Giant. I will always whatever game they make. I'm gonna get it. Um, you know these are the these are the guys that did um to, they Transistor and they just put out uh Pyre and Bastion. Uh, okay. How about Cappy games? Cappy games. I'm always going to, they were doing below, uh, sword and sorcery. Those guys are awesome. Uh, play dead. I'm surprised you didn't say play dead. There's the inside and, um, the limbo, limbo and inside. Limbo, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the other guy that whatever he makes, I will buy side unseen is Jonathan blow. Uh, I, I mean that you say what you will about that guy. He's kind of a prickly character and, Maybe off-putting to some people, but his games are always fascinating. Braid, The Witness, uh, he, the dude is fascinating. So there, I have a lot. Um, I love all of those games, but I would just say wait to see them. Like they're not going anywhere. Like no, I wait I to mean, see everything. I, the spirit of the it. question is, you know, you're there day one. On you're excited for the next thing from these guys because they, you know, that's the spirit of the yeah. Point. 
and I think indie games are a little different because every sale matters much more than other guys. So when you get an indie an indie company that you really really love, I think you I think fans feel a little bit more responsible for helping them succeed. Like another example is I love the game Thomas Was Alone from Mike Bithell, and so when Mike Bithell does something, I tend to tend to gravitate towards that because I want him to feel supported. As I well. just downloaded his new game. I'm very excited to play it. Uh, yeah. Subsurface Circular. Yep. Very very excited to play that game. And I like that indie dev blue hole. They they created a little indie darling that people seem to like that I've been enjoying as well. Who's that? PUBG. PUBG. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that indie, that indie yeah, hit indie that darling. makes my money to yeah. make it a success. <laughs> All right, quick question. Uh, there is now a Planet of the Apes game. Do you guys think that movie tie-in games can make a comeback or are they dead forever? This comes from Luis Guerrero. Rich, what do you well, think? Movie tie-ins, IP games? I think it's very difficult because AAA game development takes three, four, five years. All the art, all the – everything that it takes to make a a game for consoles, it just doesn't sort of match the development cycle of movies. Obviously, there's a lot of mobile game movie tie-ins, and I'm pretty sure that's where it is and is going to stay for the foreseeable future. Christian, how about you? Yeah, I'd love to see them, but I do think the realities of game dev make them take longer. I I almost like instead of seeing the movie tie-in game, you know, I can wait a little bit and see something that comes out years later that maybe sits in that universe in some form or fashion or adopts the style presented in the films and now in in the game. But I don't need it to come out day and date and go rush out and buy the Transformers game when the Transformers movie comes out or the Avengers game. I I don't need that as much anymore. I think as we move farther and farther down the road into just franchisification and, and, you know, cross media and all that stuff. I think you're going to see actually more of this than less. I don't think it's dead. I think these brands are taking over and brand is King. And I think it's much harder to sell something that doesn't have any other, um, brand awareness outside of its, you know, it's just a video game. It's just a video game. Wow. So I think you're actually gonna see more of this. I don't necessarily know if they're going to be better or worse, but uh, I, I would be surprised if we see it go away. Quick question from Aaron Suarez. He says, is there a game that you purchased not knowing anything about that became a favorite? Mine is a few years old decades actually. And it's secret of mana. I picked it up based on being a Squaresoft fan and it's incredible box art. So up apropos, seeing as how Secret of Mana just got announced as a remaster that we talked about in the Story of the Week section. Uh, any uh, blind buys here that you turned into turned into surprises for you, Rich? Well, I'll tell you, I really don't do that um, because and, – and for most of my video game life, I had to know something about the game to buy it. But one thing that I have been doing a lot of lately is thanks to the Xbox One Games Pass – I've been playing a ton of games that passed me by. I mentioned earlier my son is 10. So for the last 10 years, I've played a lot less video games than I did in the 10 years before that. So I missed a whole lot of stuff. So an example of that is Toy Soldiers. I don't know if either of you ever played the Toy Soldiers games. Yeah, yeah. But they're fantastic. I completely missed them. And when I saw them appear on the Xbox One Games Pass, I quickly hit the download button and I played them both for about a month and loved every minute of it. So Toy Soldiers is a great example. I didn't explicitly buy it, but I bought the service that allowed me to try it. I tried it and absolutely loved it. Christian, how about you? Surprise game a, that you there's a bunch of these and they're all like a lot of them are major franchises now so it won't necessarily work some uh honestly uncharted one i got a playstation 3 as a gift and like 
GameStop had a buy two, get one, whatever, like used game sale. I got my PS3 a little into the generation and I was like, I don't know. I heard this one was good and I bought it and I, I loved it. Um, also way, way, way back in the day, Doom on PC. My brother and I were at Babbage's or whatever it was and we were like, <laughs> like we didn't know anything about it, but it was just like Doom really big and like this hellscape. Wow, I love I love that game. Like you know, the little indie indie darling Doom that no one's heard of. Right. Um, right. I think. Oh, and recently, I didn't really know much about Hellblade. Like I looked to see, like, oh, it's kind of doing well, and I liked what that studio had had done. Um, but I I didn't just blind buy it. I was like, oh, this has some positive reviews. I like supporting this idea of a, of a mid tier game, and I'm still really enjoying that game as well. But uh, yeah, those are kind of me three. I also bought the Turtles Fighting game back in the day for the same things. That had a cool cover, uh, like Genesis Super NES. That game was awful. <laughs> oh, man, if you're talking about the opposite end of the spectrum, I remember being a little kid. This is going to date me seriously, but uh, I bought a game that no one will remember but me. Uh, it was an electronic arts game back when electronic arts published uh, PC games in very flat boxes. These flat sort of look like a you would find a, like a 45 record in. Uh, and it was a game called Arctic Fox. And it was a tank game. And the reason I bought it is because it had this hand, a gloved hand in its glorious CGA graphics that when you pushed your joystick left, the hand actually moved the joystick the same direction that you pushed. So it looked like the hand was actually a person. And I thought that was the coolest, craziest thing. And I begged my parents to let me get it. And I got it and it was terrible. It was, I You've wanted VR your whole life. I have. I have. Explains a lot, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, anyway, uh, I've been covering video games for so long that this doesn't really happen to me very much anymore from a purchase standpoint because I kind of know everything that's going on. But what what does happen is I'll get sent a code for a game and I'll be like, ah, all right, I'll give it a shot. And lo and behold, it'll be amazing. Uh, that happened a few times recently with The Observer was an example. I didn't know anything about The Observer. Oh, great example. We, we got yeah. the codes and we're like, oh, my God, the game's awesome. And a game that I talked about a lot on my other show, Newest, Latest, Best, which you can find on iTunes, uh, a game called The Metronomicon, which I missed when it first was released, but they just came out with a uh, – an expansion and they sent me a code to try it. Metronomicon is a blast, you guys. It's really fun. It's a it is basically Puzzle Quest but with for a rhythm game for like Guitar Hero. It it is a Guitar Hero game but it's got a role-playing story mode built around it. It's a blast. So yeah, I, that's happened a few times and it's it's always a delight to be surprised by something you didn't see coming. All right. Thanks again for your quick questions. Again, you can send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com if you'd like to hear your question answered on the show by three uh, questionable fellas um, and, or ladies, as the case may be. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. It's been a long one. It's been a fun one. We do have bonus content. Christian and I are going to talk about Lost Legacy spoiler in time. But uh, stick around for that if you've played the game or if you don't care to be spoiled. But I do need to thank Rich Grisham for being here. Thank you so much, sir. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I am a huge fan of the show. I love it. Big fan of both of yours. So always, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Where can people follow you and the things that you make on the Internet? Okay, cool. So follow me on Twitter at Rich Grisham. That's the best place to do it. Uh, as as you know, I'm the chief marketing officer for Out of the Park Developments. We make Out of the Park Baseball, Franchise Hockey Manager, and MLB Manager every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch TV. 
our baseball community manager, TJ Lowerman, live streams out of the park baseball at 9 p.m. And then at 10 p.m., our hockey community manager, Adam Burnett, live streams franchise hockey manager with the producer, Jeff Riddles. And then those get archived to our YouTube page. So go to twitch.tv slash OOTP developments at 9 p.m. for a couple of hours of our games. Also, I run the Press Row podcast with my friend Brian Weedai that goes out every Friday where we talk about sports video games. I also do the Dodcast with my friends Pete and Mark, and those are go out every couple of weeks. And lastly, you mentioned at the top, um, I've uh, recently launched a, a company called We Are HTP, and we're helping a number of indie game makers uh, accomplish cool things. And so if you're in that world, give me a buzz and we'll talk. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you being here. Uh, Christian, we do have our parting gift coming up, but um, what do you got going on? Well, as of right now, I will be, it's still, the plan is on. I will be in Austin this weekend for the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival doing shows there Saturday and Sunday. It looks like Austin is is not getting much of this at all. So flying out, we'll be there. Uh, if you are able to travel around Texas or if you're in Austin, I'd love to see you at a show, but be safe. Don't do anything don't do anything stupid. And uh, Twitter is always a good way to get in touch. It is at Spicer. I have another geeky podcast, uh, at least 20 more minutes, you can find on my Patreon. And then Twitch is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. YouTube is Christian Spicer 713. And just to reiterate, if you have a Twitch Prime sub, I'm doing that because that's free for you if you have one and they reset in the month. So September 1, you can do it again if you already did one. I'm going to match whatever comes in from that to donate to the Red Cross. And if you pick up my stand-up albums, Moment in Time, or We're All Gonna Die, I'm donating 100% of those proceeds to the Red Cross for Hurricane Harvey relief as well. Yeah, please, please do. And our, our heart goes out to all the people that are affected and have family members that are affected like Christian's family members. Uh, I wanted to read an email that we actually got just just <laughs> recently um, not, not to toot our own horn, but because I think maybe it'll help, uh, uh, come together on, on this issue. Uh, this is sent to us from Ben. He said, howdy, I've been listening to DLC from day one. It carried me through long commutes into the office, daily workouts, and even a few marathons. And now it's getting me through Hurricane Harvey. I'm from the Woodlands, Texas, and which is a suburb of, sub- my folks live. Oh, really? He said, it's a suburb of Houston. Uh, we have been lucky so far to be spared the worst of it. We do find ourselves stuck in our home, reading posts from friends and coworkers who have lost their homes. My son was a bit scared and barricaded himself into his room to, quote, keep the water out. My daughter built a fort in her, in her room, quote, in case the roof collapsed. While we are safe, the kids and I curled up, and with the TV out, I pulled out one of my favorite podcasts recorded on my iPhone. We spent the next three hours playing past DLC episodes. It was a wonderful bit of bonding and helped calm the kids. Thank you for having such a clean and always entertaining show. We have two new little fans now who, when they saw that I was writing, asked me to say hi. Keep up the wonderful work. Thanks. Hey, Ben, our hearts are with you. We hope you guys stay safe and stay dry as much as possible. Uh, hopefully the worst is over. We'll stay, uh, vigilant and watching what, what happens, but we're happy to be of, uh, whatever comfort we can be. And, and we wish you the best. Next time I'm in Houston, I'll come over and I'll, I'll do this cry on your shoulder for you. Cause, uh, oh man, <laughs> right. Uh, pretty magical. 
So thanks again. Uh, also, uh, I do another uh, video game show. It's uh, daily. Hope you guys give that sh- a shot. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find it on iTunes and Google Play or at anchor.fm slash NLB. All right. Let's uh, wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Rich, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. I'm a huge fan of music. Christian, I know you are as well. You talked about music recommendations. So I I had the pleasure of seeing Queen perform live about a month ago with Adam Lambert uh, as as the vocalist. And it reminded me of when I was a kid. I was like 9 or 10 or 11. I don't know exactly how old I was. And I was listening to rock and roll, which remains my favorite kind of music, although I listen to everything. And my sister, who's five years older, her boyfriend at the time gave me two albums. One was called Queen Live Killers and one was called Queen A Night at the Opera. And they changed my life. They introduced me to rock and roll, played in a way that I didn't know could happen. And so if you're not a fan of Queen or even if you are, Queen Live Killers in particular is an absolute tour de force of a band at its apex in the late 70s. And then Night at the Opera is by far, in my opinion, their best studio album, which is saying something because they got a bunch of great studio albums. So that's like one side of the perspective. And the other is, and this I guess is a royal theme here, uh, another really interesting band, Queens of the Stone Age, just released their latest album called Villains. And I listened to that a few times over the weekend. It's very interesting, very challenging. It, it's it's not just, you know, a verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of rock and roll. There's a lot going on there, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm not like the biggest Queens of the Stone Age fan either, but they're like five or six best songs are some of the best songs ever ever made in rock and roll. So I highly recommend their new album, Villains, from Queens of the Stone Age. Very cool. Christian, how about you? Got a parting gift? Yeah, it's going to stay with the theme here, but charitynavigator.org is a website that I have used that I like for seeing where money is going, charities that if you want to contribute to Hurricane Harvey or other disasters or just other charities around, you can kind of go there and do some searching and and find some good places to give your time and or money. Very cool. I have a documentary to recommend as my parting gift. Uh, If you have Netflix, Definitely carve out some time to watch Icarus. It is incredible. It's a documentary that starts out to be about one man's journey into the dark world of performance-based doping, uh, trying to see if he can match what Lance Armstrong did to try to better his performance at amateur cycling events. And where it goes from there is pretty amazing. It gets into the entire Russian doping Olympic scandal that we went through in 2016. It is a huge insight into what Putin is capable of doing. And it's it couldn't be more relevant to everything going on in the world. And it is an incredible thing to watch. Icarus. It's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Remember, we got our spoiler in time coming up right after this. But thanks again to Rich Grisham and Christian Spicer for hanging out. Thanks to all of the folks in the chat room for also hanging out in real time, helping us make the show better. We appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who downloaded the show. And thanks to our musical contributors for making all those great bumpers, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. We'll be back next week. Until then... Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right.
fair warning, we're about to spoil Uncharted The Lost Legacy. So if you do not want to be spoiled, now is the time to reach down to your playback device and hit pause or stop or next track or whatever it is you push. Because we are all no holds barred Uncharted Lost Legacy spoiler in. Here we go. Uh, Christian, both of you, both of us, both you and I, uh, love the game, but I wanted to dive into the things that were good and bad in a more detailed way because I don't think it's perfect. I think there are some things that I would have done a little bit better, but let's start with some of the great, great things about it uh, that are specific spoilers. Um, I love the fact that in Uncharted games, you go to the most beautiful places that you can imagine. And somehow they keep coming up with new ways to make incredibly beautiful, lush places. And then not only do you go to those places, you climb all over them. Uh, And climbing up the statues that you climb up in this game, the crazy uh, uh, ancient golden city that you climb up in this game, all of that is just so satisfying and gorgeous. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm glad I've been married for so long, because if not, I'd go on my honeymoon to some beautiful tropical destination and be like, Uncharted's better. (laughs) It is what what Naughty Dog does with jungles is astonishing. In this game, too, I love the contrast of how it starts in, you know, neon India, where you're in the city and it's the neon lights reflecting in the rain and all of this. And then contrasted with the bright, beautiful green jungle that also still like it's definitely built on the back of Uncharted 4, right? Like surprise they did it in a year or whatever they did but like the the different types of mud that you drive through it's not just mud there's like at least three different types of mud and how your car handles differently and how you run differently in it and in the water and it is there's one of the did you do all of the tokens in the open world part yeah all of them and i thought those were all such interesting different little cute short puzzles i liked them yeah, they're they're great. I think one of the most stunning areas in the game is the one where you dive into the water and swim for a little bit, and then you you pop out on the other side, and like it's like bluish gray in this little carved out cave or whatnot. Yeah. Also, side note: uh, every time I went underwater, I held my breath. <laughs> they're all realistic real? breath holds. I was able to do it for every single one. <laughs> you are a, a, a larper at your very core, Christian. <laughs> um, I I thought I loved the, the that open world section and I love the idea of all of those optional little puzzles and I did all of them because the puzzles themselves were so interesting and so different one from the next but I thought that the bracelet that you get as a reward was kind of underwhelming. Yeah, so we should say what you get a bracelet that jingles when you're near treasure annoyingly which- because there are treasures everywhere in this game right it turns you can, out you can turn it off but i don't think anyone really thinks to when they first get it and then i'm like i don't i don't platinum these games i actually play on i played on light which is like easy difficulty and i loved i meant to say that i meant to bring that up during our review um i did not do that i played it on normal as i kind of have this weird mm-hmm. stigma about lowering it but you know what i did do that made it basically easy is I turned on auto-aiming. Oh, yeah, it's great, right? It's great! It's great. It doesn't make the game feel too easy. I mean, it, it does make the game feel easy because you're just popping fools and just all, all you got to do is pull that trigger and now you're aiming at the perfect right guy. But it, it it completely simplifies, I think, the weakest part of the Uncharted franchise, which is I kind of don't want to be shooting all these dudes. Uh, so I thought that was a perfect balance of like not actually lowering the difficulty, but 
ostensibly lowering the difficulty. Well, I say this in my stream. I don't know if I say it. I think I might mention it in the, the video review I do as well. Like I like Uncharted games on that easier difficulty because I want the combat to feel the same way everything else feels in the game. And if I'm a character that can, in three steps, run and jump across a building, catch onto a leg with one hand and my fingertips, and then jump over, jump off a sign. Uh, in the video review, I have one of my favorite combat moments that I happen to capture. And that's uh, in that open world part of the combat. And I climb up on this structure. I see a person over to up, up perched up. So I pop at that person a couple of times and then I jump off and then I, in the midair, I swing my grapple out, latch onto a tree, swing over mid swing. I see that there's another enemy down on the ground. I break out of my swing and melee pounce on top of them. Like I want to be able to do that. And I don't have to be worried about hiding behind cover to regain my health. Like I want to fight the same way I do everything else in the game. And that's like a total badass and easy lets me play that way. People are probably more proficient uh, with their controller than I am. And maybe they feel that way at normal. But for me, mm, easy was perfect. Well, let's talk more about specific moments in the game. Uh, I think the last chapter, which is basically one big extended cut, not cutscene, uh, set piece, one big extended set piece moment, big action sequence is up there with the best of the Uncharted series. It is a, a crazy train chase where you're running along the top of a train and climbing on the side of it and leaping off to, to uh, uh, Jeeps and then jumping back on. And all of that stuff I thought was as thrilling as anything that you do in an Uncharted game, which is a high praise. Yeah, I mean, it's the one of the best set pieces from Uncharted 4, which is where you're in the Jeeps and you're jumping around from the Jeeps and the big truck back to the Jeeps, yeah. combined with one of the best, best set pieces from Uncharted 2, which is the train sequence, as you have a wrecking train that you're climbing through. And it's also really cool, you know, they gave us a shout out and they ended the game on a hype train, right? Like, clearly they're <laughs> fans of, of DLC. Uh, um, yeah, you it's... <laughs> it's beautiful and it, it it's stunning even the amount of detail that are on these train cars in terms of like peeled paint and shelving and the stuff that you're not going to look at right as you're like running and jumping from one thing to another but as like motorcycles are exploding in the distance and you're shooting jeeps that then blow up and flip over and smash against the train and you're jumping off it is it's awesome it's such a fun like to me, in recent memory, one of the other amazing set pieces was um, the the moments in Titanfall Two that kind of have that same epic feel of like everything you've learned in the game comes together in this huge explosion action filled sequence, and uh, this is right up there for sure. I also loved uh, the subverting of expectations with the helicopter. I mean, anybody that's played video games for any period of time knows that helicopters are. Uh, an MFer and uh, not fun to take down. And almost always it's the same thing. Run around, find the rocket launcher, shoot a couple of times, the find cover, find all oh, you ran out of ammo for the rocket launcher, get more ammo for the rocket launcher. And it starts that way in this game. And it, you feel like, Oh, here we go. We're doing the exact same thing I've done in every game where I have a take down a helicopter. And then at a certain point, it's like, nope, there's no more ammo for the rocket launcher and it's still not there. And you could run around to all the chests that are supposed to have rocket launcher ammo in them, but there's no more rocket launcher ammo on this level. Guess what? New plan, grappling hook the helicopter. And I thought that was such a cool, like, wink, wink, nod, nod to, uh, you know, video game uh, tropes, you know. 
Yeah, not even video game tropes as much as they are, like, yes, larger video game tropes, but also things you've done in Uncharted before. And there's a, there's a couple of those, like early in the game too, when you and Nadine are, you play Chloe the whole game, and, and you and Nadine are exploring Night India, and Nadine needs a way to boost up, so you, you, take this wheelie crate that you push over and you use this wheelie crate so much in uncharted Four. like that wheelie crate is everywhere for traversal traversal puzzle solving and in uncharted and in, in lost legacy it's like oh here we go wheelie crate you wheel it over and you push it down to nadine she's going to climb up and then the wheelie crate breaks through the ceiling falls to the floor she crashes you jump down nadine gets up and she's like hey how about no more crates? And you're like, yeah, no more crates. And then there's never another crate in the game. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like, we get it. It's, it's beautiful. Like, like, and even with, uh, they talk about Nathan, the way the two characters are chit-chatting about uh, Chloe dating Nathan and what type of guy he is and Nadine's interactions with him. And then like the, the wink and the nod to, she's like, wait, you dated him? And she's like, well, he's not that bad. We've known each other for a while. What about his brother, Sam? Oh, I don't know. I feel like he came out of nowhere. And I'm like, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you feel about Sam showing up in this game? Um, I I think that I maybe it could have been done without him. Like I get like having a Drake in it. Um, I, I don't know if he was needed. I think it could have been some other character that happened. I think you do shortcut that emotional relationship because it plays a nice, it's a nice moment of putting a wedge between Chloe and Nadine, right? Because Nadine's relationship with Sam is very different than what Chloe's is and will be. So I see it from that standpoint that if it was an entirely new character, they then would need to justify how this character plays that role of a wedge between the two um that being said i hate sam the way i hate the brother and bloodline like <laughs> yeah. and i think he's supposed to be that character right like, right he's vince vaughn and swingers he's he's that guy um so I, I i get it but i it makes sense to me i i think if there is a way that they could have done it with someone else that might have been stronger uh what about you I thought it was a cool surprise to have him be such a big part of the game uh, eventually, but I also was a little bummed that they didn't follow through with doing an Uncharted with no Drakes. You know, I thought it would have been a bolder, just conceptually a bolder idea to just not have a Drake in it. But um, I, I didn't have the problem you did. I, I He's fun and their interaction is fun and having all that history to play off and, and bounce off of is, is fun. And I liked all of the inner, the dynamic of, of the three of them. So I, I thought it was cool. Um, go ahead. How did you feel about the, the villain? Uh, I thought he was fine. I thought it was cool. I thought it was interesting that they had him single-handedly be able to like fight the two women off most of the game. Um, and which they justify. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't think that, I don't know. I, I I thought that could have been handled a little differently, but I didn't have a big problem with that. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. My only problem with it, I like him. Uh, I, I wasn't quite sure like why he's like, he's destroying his country. And it, it, I feel like that kind of is glossed over. Like I get why Nadine and Chloe want to stop him, but it kind of seemed like I'm this bad guy and I'm going to start this revolt to get my country. And then everybody will come running to me and, I need money to do it, so I'll go on this treasure hunt to get this tusk. Like, dude, you're just go blow up a bank and steal. Like, what? Are you, like, the, his relation to the treasure hunt for his cause like seemed odd to me. Uh, and then, like, his larger motivations for India will be mine. What? What's wrong with it? Like, what are your problems with it? But then, when you push all that out, you're like, okay, great. 
they're on this treasure hunt together and Chloe and Nadine want it and he wants it. Bad guy, go. Like that worked. But when I think about him as a bigger character, I'm not quite sure why he's there and what he's doing. The big problem I have with all of these games from a why are they doing this standpoint is they're all like looking for this horn. Meanwhile, passing up countless amazing riches and things that like, okay, the horn special. Yeah, but there's about a billion things that that aren't the horn that seem like they would be equally as amazing as the horn, you know? Right. right. <laughs> so, but that's how it is with all of these types of things. I'm um, reminded of another subversion of expectations. Their Uncharted franchise is known for its last act going toward the supernatural. Right. And Uncharted 4, uh, spoiler, does away with that. And in Lost Legacy, you're kind of getting close to the end. And then I think it's Nadine that hears something. And it's like, Rawr. and you're like, what is that? And I was like, oh, Supernatural? It's back? That'd be kind of how I'm curious oh, to, occur to, me. to do this take on Supernatural. What are they going to do? And like, should we go see? And then you go investigate. And it's an elephant. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful herd of elephants, which leads yeah. to, I think, one of the dumbest parts of the game, which is... They, uh, it's gorgeous when they see the herd of elephants and they take the picture in front of the herd of elephants. All that stuff is is really amazing, and it's a. It reminded me of the giraffe moment from mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, Last of Us. Uh, but then they find themselves. They you know they they save the elephant who's injured, and they find themselves on the back of it, and they're just like, okay, wherever this elephant wants to take us is fine. We'll just sit here and have a conversation on the back of this elephant that's just wandering through like really you're just gonna just ride it out and see where this elephant goes i thought that was dumb well they were in a uh, they were in a pickle they needed to get somewhere and you're just gonna just let the animal go where it goes (laughs) and just have a conversation and not pay attention because now we're just riding on the oh it's so pleasant to be riding on the back of an elephant why do we why should we be concerned with where it's going I thought that was a little straining credulity, but uh, a minor, a minor nitpick, I suppose. Yeah. Overall, we loved it. And, uh, there's a lot of cool, juicy moments, uh, a lot of fun, cool, uncharted things to do. I think it hits all of the uncharted notes in just the right way with adding enough, uh, new harmonies with new characters that it, uh, it's a very special game. I remember, yeah, Ron Funches tweeted, I saw him the other day, we talked about it for a little bit, but he tweeted a picture of Chloe and Nadine, and he was like, he tweeted, Thelma and Louise 2017. And like, they they really have that feeling. These characters are so well acted and well portrayed. I think part of it too, going right from that into Madden's long shot mode made all of like the jarring moments of that, like even more jarring to me. And I was like, no, no, I, I get it. Like, you're Madden, you're doing a million other things, but like, cinema can be this, like a cinematic game can be this <laughs> and i'm going right. from the best to here's a new mode we put in a game do you think there's more uncharted without drakes i think sony says so um i i could see naughty dog being done with it like i don't have any inside information or knowledge to the fact one way or the other um i, I was perfectly comfortable being done with uncharted after uncharted 4 but i think nadine and chloe were so great together that i'd i'd love to see more of them but i'd also I, I think I tweeted out my dream game now is I want to see Naughty Dog do a DuckTales game. Yeah, that's not happening. It'd be so great, though, right? Going back to their cartooniness with Crash, but like you're do- on this great, like the puzzles, it's the puzzle elements of all the Uncharted and the beautiful environment. Oh, the new DuckTales is so good, too, by the way. It's so good. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.